Well, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Let's give God praise in this place. Come on, the Bible says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. If you're dead, be quiet. But if you made it here and you're alive, make some noise for Jesus. Give him praise. Somebody might need to step on your feet right now and give God praise because you could have gotten an accident on your way here. You could have tried to step out of the bed and you couldn't step down. You could have tried to take a breath in and nothing happened, but you're here. And because you came here, you might as well give God praise. If you are here to worship the living king, I need you to give God the biggest hand clap of praise, the rejoicing of your mouth. That's what I'm talking about. Come on, we give you praise, Jesus. We give you praise, Jesus. You are Lord and you are king. Hallelujah. Had to do a heat check in the room real quick. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, those who are worshiping with us online, I am so glad to be here. For those who I've had not, I have not had the opportunity to meet yet, I am Pastor Mo, uh, lead pastor at Victory Midtown. My wife, Kendra, and I get the opportunity to serve that campus. She's actually up preaching right now at Midtown. Uh, our almost 22-month-old son, Maximus, is with the grandparents. Somebody say, thank God for grandparents. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But I'm glad to be here today because we've been in an incredible, incredible journey. How many people have been blessed by the journey we've been on in this series to be blessed? If you have not been with us, I want to just let you know uh, that we've been in a transformative journey. And this whole series is called Blessed. Come on, say blessed with me. And as we're talking about being blessed, I want to share something with you that I said to the Midtown campus early on in this series uh, from the very first message that I preached in this series, and it's something that I want you to hear but not throw a stone at me, because it's going to maybe sound a little different, especially for those who have been here at Victory for a long time. I want you to hear me in the spirit. What I told Victory Midtown was that this blessed series is actually a prosperity series. Some of y'all like, keep that stuff in the city now. <laughs> what I'm not talking about is the jaded view of prosperity gospel that people have seen, where we talk about how many cars you can get, how many houses you have, how many clothes you have, how much money you have in your accounts. Prosperity literally means flourishing. It means successful. It means a thriving condition. And so as we're talking about this, it also means favorable and fortunate. And so as we walk through this, we've been dealing with these eight blessed are you win statements of Jesus at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount called the Beatitudes. And the Lord just nudged me early on in this series as I was studying this and, and being transformed by this. And I hope that you're being transformed by this because as you read this word, there's something about the word of God that every time you break it open, if you are open to it, he will open you up. And so as I've been reading, I really believe that the Beatitudes simply are supposed to become the attitudes that become your default. The Beatitudes should become your regular mode of operation so that when trials of life come, when things happen, you're not going with what the world says. You are going based on the character of Christ. And so we've been talking about this series, and we've said every single week, you're going to get tired of hearing it, but faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We've been given the definition of blessed every week, and we said the Greek word for blessed is makarios, makarios, and it means blessed, happy, or fortunate. Somebody say blessed. blessed. Say happy. happy. Say fortunate. If you didn't know, I'm a participating pastor, so y'all going to talk to me today. Somebody likes that. 
So as we jump into this, in this portion of the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus is actually giving us is he's giving us what I would call the prescription of how to live like him. It was the original WWJD. It was the original instruction of how we're supposed to walk like him, talk like him. And as I said, for me, as I've been walking through this series, it's been interrogative. It's been challenging me. That every day that I look at these scriptures, I'm having to look and say, is my character matching up with the character that's lined out in these scriptures? It's causing me to reflect. It's causing me to repent. It's causing me to change, and it's causing me to grow. And so I'm inviting you in, really, into a conversation with myself and God that you happen to be a close bystander on right now. And so as we navigate through these passages of Scripture and we navigate through this series, I want to let you know that one of the goals of this particular series is not for you just to have some notes that you put in a notepad never to look back at again. One of the main goals of this series is for you to not even be able to recognize yourself at the end of it. Because the reality is, if we're very honest, we come into environments sometimes of change and never really expect to change. But I believe that where faith is rising up right here, that if we can really lean into what God is saying, he wants to transform you. He wants to make you not be able to recognize yourself. He wants to give you a new version of you, actually the real version of you that he set out to. And so as we look at the scriptures today, our whole goal is for us to hear God through Jesus say, congratulations, you're actually starting to look like me. Congratulations. You know, when, when that used to get on your nerves, now you have a little bit more patience. Congratulations. When you used to turn up, now you're able to turn it down a little bit and say, I'm able to receive you. And so I want to take a look back at the passages that we are really uh, grabbing from so that we can really get this and understand it. I know we've read it before, but this time I don't want you to read it and hear it just as another scripture. I want you to hear it as life-transforming power. And so as I read through this, this is what we're saying, that we want to actually engage in the character of Christ so that we walk in this prosperous life of flourishing and success. Are y'all all right with that? So why don't you turn to your YouVersion Bible? If you're following by YouVersion, you can actually hit the link that says more. You can go to events, and the notes for today are actually right there, and you can follow along. If you have your physical Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Now, as I read this scripture, I need you to participate with me. Every time we get to the word blessed, I need you to engage and say it with your chest, all right? If y'all are not talking to me, I'm just going to stop. I'm not going to be the only one working today. So let's start off in verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on the mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed. All right, now stay on beat now. <laughs> Let's try one more time. Blessed. Are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed. Are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When you read the scriptures, if you really just slow down, there's so much in there that God wants to interrogate, with, interrogate you with each and every time. And so today, we're going to be dealing with the seventh beatitude, which is in uh, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. 
What I believe is that this could be maybe the hardest out of all of the Beatitudes for a lot of people. Why? Not just because we are reading the scripture and it's challenging us. This is one that it not only presents something that we have to look at ourselves internally with, but it also makes us and requires us to have a corresponding action to do something outwardly. As we're looking at this, and you really think about the other six Beatitudes, no one really knows how you're really processing those other ones. Because you know many of us can do real well faking it until we make it. You can sit in here and read the scripture and say, I'm poor in spirit, knowing that you're full of yourself. You can read the scripture and say, yes, I'm meek, knowing that, you know, you're the one who, if it's not about you, nothing else matters. But as we're looking at this, I want to let you know that this particular beatitude involves one factor that is present to all of us and that actually interrupts our self-centered agendas. You want to know what that one factor is? It's people. Look at your neighbor and say, he's talking about you. Come on, look back at the other person that you didn't choose first and say, he's talking about you too. <laughs> it's people. And as we look at this, I, I need to get an early lean in. I haven't been with y'all in a while, so some of y'all didn't know what I'm talking about. Just lean in with me for a moment. Come on, lean in. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just follow everybody else. <laughs> lean in. I need to get your attention on this, but I need you to hear it. This is what I need us to know. All the other Beatitudes... They promise a reward and a blessing from God when you operate in them. But this particular beatitude, it not only promises a reward and a blessing from God, it also affects your reputation with other people. Stay with me now. And so as we look at this, I need to give you a newsflash. Some, some of us didn't know this. Whenever and wherever there's an environment where there is more than just you involved, there will be conflict. Now, some of us, we're afraid of conflict. Some of us, we're like, oh, I don't want conflict. Conflict is simply a variance or a difference in opinion. And so I'm not saying that it's even always bad. What I'm saying is that whenever it's outside of you, there will be a difference of opinion. Now, some of y'all are like, I'm by myself and I have a difference of opinion. <laughs> That's another sermon for another day. But today, I, I want to kind of dig into this because I believe Jesus was so intentional that he knew that this particular beatitude would set us up to really be able to live for thousands of years ahead. Because he knew that he was giving us a key to the kingdom that would not only make people say, oh, they're a Christian, or oh, they have a relationship with God, but this would be something that if we're able to walk in it, it would not only let us walk in a form of godliness, it'll allow us to walk in the actual power therein. He talked about this, and he really set this up for us, because when it says this, it says, when you have this identity, those who embody this character of God, those who are peacemakers, shall be called children of God. Can we not just run past that? One of the things that the Lord has been dealing with me here lately is that sometimes we take what seems to be familiar and simple truths, and we run past it, and we diminish his power. Because we may have been walking with the Lord for a period of time, we forget how we felt, first felt when we encountered the Lord. And so as we look at this, I, I know that even as I'm speaking, that some of us are like, all right, you know, we're talking about peacemakers today. In the world we live in, conflict is everywhere. Some of you in your mind, in that, in that still small tone of voice, are saying, peacemaking is really not practical. 
I would agree with you that in the natural, it's not practical. I would agree with you that there's conflict surrounding us with money. There's conflict surrounding us with family. There's conflict surrounding us with the, the economic and governmental systems. There's conflict uh, around if you're woke or if you sleep. There's conflict about what, what race you are, what color you are, what gender you are. There's all this conflict, but I believe that my Bible says something like, with God, all things are possible. So if God gives us the charge of being a peacemaker, he's not giving us a charge of something that we cannot accomplish through him. Amen? And so I want to dig into this. What is this peace that Jesus is talking about? He's talking about peace in this particular instance using the word shalom. Shalom. And what he's saying in this context is that shalom can be defined as total or complete well-being. Watch this. Both communally and personally. I'm going to say that one more time. Shalom, in this sense, is talking about total and complete well-being, both personally and communally. What I'm saying, this is not selfish peace. This is not surface peace. This is not you just being okay by yourself. This is making sure that the fullness of who you are has peace. Now, what I'm very keen to understand is that we live in a world that's full of people who are rich in outward possessions but poor in inward peace. They have everything that looks like it should bring them peace. They have everything that looks like it can satisfy them. They have everything that looks like that, that third filter that they use to post themselves on Instagram shows them a vision of themselves. But if we're really honest, there's poverty in spirit. And so what I love is that Jesus never actually wants us to do something that he has not first modeled, and he wants us to see that we can actually accomplish this peace. Because if we really understand that there's a lot of people that are poor in spirit, what we will understand is that when a person is devoid of inward peace, what is birthed out of them is conflict and trouble. What is birthed out of them, what comes out of them, what uh, really kind of uh, eludes the fact that they are at peace is that everything they do is in conflict. I want to read this quote from Brett A. Berger. It says this, take Jesus' words seriously, though. If a peacemaker is to be called a child of God, we should want to be one. To be one, however, will take some work. The beauty of this compound word, talking about peacemaker, is that it mashes up the word peace with the word for doing or practicing. It is active. Peace, shalom, complete well-being. Maker, maker means to construct, to build, to model, to assemble. Each one of these words, they indicate, watch this, that you have to do something. That you can't just pray about it, you have to be about it. That you can't just faith it in, you have to actually walk it in. And so as we look at this, I want to acknowledge something, that this blessed lifestyle that we're even talking about over these last several weeks, it's not our natural bent. Because everything Jesus did, it was actually countercultural to what we walk in today. So much so that, that I believe that it's against our natural inclinations. See, we're talking about being peacemakers. Some of y'all are hearing me right now, and you're like, okay, I know you're talking about being a peacemaker, but I know that I want to be a peace carrier. I'm ready and willing to pop off if you do something to me. And I believe that's even why uh, back in two, 2020, 2020, uh, there was a song that went viral by Toby Wigway. And some of y'all know it. He sung this song. He said, try Jesus. 
please don't try me. Because I throw hands. That song went viral. Why? Because I believe that was the cry of so many Christians. They were like, I'm spiritual, but I will cut you. I go to church on Sunday, but don't roll up on me on Saturday. Walking around saying, don't push me because I'm close to the... I knew y'all wasn't all sanctified. (laughs) The reality is we all battle with our natural selves against our spiritual expectation. And so as we're looking at this, we, we have to know that we're called to be peacemakers. But listen to this. You cannot give out. You cannot make what you have not first received. And so if you don't have peace, if you're not walking with peace, you will never be able to make peace because you're in turmoil and you're in conflict with yourself. So what does a peacemaker look like? Let's run right into this. Number one, a peacemaker is a risk taker. A peacemaker is a risk taker. Again, I love that God models everything he expects of us through Jesus. Because I believe God said, I'm so smart. Yes, I'm going to take out any excuse you have to say you can't do something that I expect from you. Because he sent his son to walk through it. That's why the Bible says you have not a high priest who has not first been touched by the feelings of your infirmities. So when he's challenging us to actually raise our standard, we can no longer say, God, you don't understand. He's like, nope. I understand. My son went through that. You can no longer say, you don't know how they treated me. They treated me bad. You're like, did they kill you? Did they put you up on the cross? Did they nail nails into your hands and to your feet? I think you need to carry on. And so as we look at this, we need to grab the fact that Jesus, write this down, was the ultimate risk taker. He was the ultimate risk taker. And this is good news. And it shows itself in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. It says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Listen to this part. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? Not only in this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. What it's saying right here, yes, amen, right over there. Somebody needs to praise God on that part. Because like I said earlier, so many times what we do is like, oh, that was good. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. No, we need to understand that the revelation of God is that you didn't save yourself. That as a matter of fact, you had nothing to do with God. He still said, I'm going to come after you. And so when we say that Jesus was the ultimate risk taker, what we're saying is that we were enemies on this side against a God on this side, and we said we had nothing to do with him. But Jesus, who was rich in mercy, said, I'm going to step right in between your foolishness, right in between your ignorance, right in between you not knowing what's good for you, and I'm going to reconcile this thing and bring you back into a relationship with the Father. Somebody needs to say amen to that. And so while we were still enemies, we were reconciled with God. Now, I need to ask a real question. How many of us would risk our lives for even our friends, let alone our enemies? Not me. But we have a God right here who actually put himself in the place of vulnerability. And and here's the other thing that we need to know when we talk about being a risk taker. 
most times, and this might be your story, most of the time when we take a risk, many times we've calculated that risk. So it's really not even a risk at all. Many times you're like, okay, I'm going to do this, and I'm, I'm at least going to get this result. I'm going to shoot high, and I'm going to receive low. But listen to this. Jesus, he risked it all. Because God, who is so knowledgeable of all things, he said, I know that there's going to be some people who absolutely reject me, but still I'm going to die for them. I know there are going to be some people who see the gift of life available to them, the gift of forgiveness available to them, but still say, I'm going to swerve you, God. And so as we're looking at this, let's not lose the power of this, because as we praise God about it, we can't just clap about it. We have to model it as well. As he is, so are we in this world. If the Bible shows us something, he's saying he wants us to do it. So we can't just be those who are bystanders. We have to step into being risk takers as well. Meaning there are some enemies in our lives that have done some warranted things that we should respond to that we still have to be able to say, if I'm going to follow what the word says, I have to be a risk taker. I have to do something even knowing that I might not get the result that I think I'm supposed to get back. When we look at this, hear this. The word peacemaker is going to be on the screen. It means to endeavor to reconcile persons who have disagreements in making peace. The Greek word for it is irena poios, irena poios. And so peacemakers in the Bible, as we look back at it, this is not just some fairy tale thing. Peacemakers in the Bible, what they would do is they would step in between two warring parties just as Jesus did. And sometimes what we do is we give ourselves too much credit. We act like we've always been these saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Spirit people that, oh, it was just God doing a little thing to save us. No, some of y'all were going to hell with gasoline draws. (laughs) Minding your own business. And God said, no, no, I want you. No, no, I'm coming after you. No, no, I know you're actually going to push me to the side, but I'm still going to come after you. That's a good place to give him praise. I want us to hear this. A peacemaker does this hard thing, initiates reconciliation even when others have wronged them. But we're not always on the good side. A peacemaker also is quick to repent when we've wronged others. It causes for us to be in humility. It causes for us to walk this thing out, which is why we've said over and over again that these beatitudes are not these random statements. It's not, I just pulled this out of the air over here. What it's saying is that if you're never poor in spirit, if you're never meek, if you're never humble, you will never be able to be a peacemaker. And I personally, like I've said before, I've been being challenged by this. Recently, I had a situation where I had to employ this. There was a friendship that I had that was a 20-year friendship. We were, we were people, as we were younger, we said, oh, we're always going gonna to move next to each other. We're going to buy houses next to each other. We're going to go to the league together. We're going to play football. We're going to do all these things. And then a couple of years ago, something happened that, that drove a wedge in between us where both of us felt like the other person wronged the other person. You ever had one of those situations? You're like, it's your fault. No, it's my fault. It's your fault. It's your fault. And so what we did is that we ended up basically canceling our relationship, where after 20 years of being closest friends, where when people saw one of us, they would always associate the other one with the other. And we said, we're not going to be around each other. But how many of you know God has a sense of humor? Lo and behold, probably every week or so, we would start seeing each other. Because we went to high school together, we went to homecoming. He was on that side, I was on this side. 
I'm not going to go talk to you. You're not going to come talk to me. But I can be a little stubborn sometimes. So we were sitting at a table one day, and I'm sitting there, and I'm looking with the death stare like, you better not look over here. I'm not moving. But on one Sunday morning, I remember I was standing up preaching. And if you've ever been a public speaker or you've done anything of this sort, you may not know that you can be up here speaking to hundreds or thousands of people and having a whole different conversation in your head. And so I remember preaching this particular Sunday, and the Lord just convicted me, and he said, okay, Andrew, he doesn't call me Mo, he calls me by my government given name. <laughs> God said, Andrew, got my attention. He said, how are you up here pre preaching about grace and forgiveness and how God came after you in your sin? How when you knew you were wrong, you know, he still came after you with love. How are you talking about all of that and you won't forgive him? He said, are you going to keep him away from the witness of my grace because of your pride? Are you going to steal my testimony of love and grace because you want to be stubborn? And so after that moment, I remember making the call, sending the text. Here's the funny thing about it. The Lord, again, has such a sense of humor, he ended up moving in my same building. <laughs> so while I'm trying to have my decompression time in the gym, here he comes walking in. And so I say, I, I hear you, Lord. I hear you. I submit. And so we end up having a conversation. We end up reconciling. We end up forgiving each other and becoming peacemakers. Somebody say amen. amen. What am I saying? That was my situation. It was hard. It was tough because I'm not even giving you all the details, but I'm, just let, I'm letting you know that it took God for me to forgive. But this is what I know. Peacemaking will not always be easy. Peacemaking sometimes might not even be possible. So let me just acknowledge that. But I love what Paul says in Romans chapter 12. He says this. He says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So what this word does for us, it takes the responsibility away from you casting it on somebody else and makes it personal and makes it that you have to be the one to respond. And so as a risk taker, we must be willing to do like Jesus. We have to put ourselves out there, listen to this, without a guarantee of the result that is favorable to us. We have to be people who commit to being peacemakers because it's the right thing to do. Because it's a fruit of the Spirit to walk in that patience and that forgiveness. And so you are called to bring peace. Let me say it like this. You are actually called to be an agent of reconciliation. And when we know that, it changes our mind, it changes our approach. I need to ask this question. I need to do a heat check in the room again. How many of you, you've seen some things, you've been walking around, you've been guilty of seeing an area where you know you should actually get involved, where there's conflict, something that you can actually be an answer to and you just ignore it? I see some hands. I got an honest church here at 11 o'clock. I love the 11 o'clock service. See, we, we see stuff and we, we walk by it and we're like, okay, my name Bennett and I ain't in it. But here's what I need us to know. Here, here it is. We have no right to complain about the declining state of the world. We have no right to complain about stuff that's going wrong if we're not willing to be an answer to a problem. And too many of us, what we're doing is we're throwing lobs expecting somebody else to slam dunk it. 
And God is saying, no, I didn't call you to throw a lob. I called you to drive it all the way to the hole and score for my glory. And so as we're looking at this, here's the thing that we do. Many times, the reason why so much conflict happens in the world is because we're silent or we ignore it. What I love even here in Gwinnett County, recently uh, we saw the news, like some of our pastors got word of the fact that the Gwinnett County school system was getting ready to change the sexual education curriculum here. And we said, okay, we need to get involved. We don't need to just be quiet. We don't need to just let it go. And what we saw through galvanizing voice, through stepping into conflict, by not just sitting by and letting it go, we at least were able to delay that decision by God's grace. And when I say we, it's because many of you in here wrote the email. Many of you posted on social. Many of you said, no, I'm not just going to let that happen. I'm going to step in and do something. But here's the thing that I want us to know. There are a lot of us that don't say anything about anything. But we expect peace just to happen. John Stuart Mill, a philosopher, he said this. He said, let not anyone pacify his conscience by the delusion that he can do no harm if he takes no part and forms no opinion. Bad men need nothing more to compass their ends than that good men should look on and do nothing. In a nutshell, what it's saying is that evil prevails because good men and women keep silent. But yet, what we want to do is we want to throw religious stones, but we, not, we have not done anything to actually permit it from happening. And so a peacemaker, again, is on assignment as an agent of change, understanding if I'm going to make a change, I have to step into this situation. Amen? Which leads me to the next thing that we need to understand about being a peacemaker. Number two, it requires something of you, which means peacemakers are active, not passive. Peacemakers are active, not passive. Hebrews 12, 14 says this, work. Somebody say work. Work at living in peace with everyone. And do what? Work at living a holy life for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. This right here is speaking of doing something, of being active. And what we said a few weeks ago in the message was that holy is really an indication that you now look like God, that you're taking the characteristics of Jesus and making them a part of your life. As we look at this, we must know that we must be active, And if I'm going to be a peacemaker, I can't be a person that just sits there and says, well, I don't want to agitate. I don't want to really mess with that. You know, some people say, you know, oh, I have this down because, you know, I just don't bother anybody. So I know I'm a peacemaker. Nah, let me let you know something. There's a big difference between being a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. Many of us in this room worshiping online have been peacekeepers. But God has called us to elevate and be peacemakers. What am I saying? A peacekeeper says things like, just let old dogs lie. You know, says things like, I'm not trying to ruffle feathers right now. I think this is going to bear witness with a whole lot of people in the room. Men say stuff like, happy wife, happy life. Knowing that that's a lie. Because she might be happy in the moment, but you are miserable and getting ulcers on the inside because you're stuffing your real emotions. And so what you're really doing is you're setting yourself up for failure because you have a form of peace without the real power of peace. 
And so, so many people are miserable because they're just stuffing things. And here's a powerful one that I think some of y'all know, depending on where you came from, you'll say stuff like, if you like it, I love it. (laughs) That ain't peace. What do you really feel? Because as we look at this, a peacekeeper, listen to this, is not keeping peace. What a peacekeeper is doing is projecting passivity. Let me say that one more time. What a peacekeeper is doing is projecting passivity. And you are not called to be passive. Let me say that three more times. God has not called you to be passive. God has not called you to be passive. On that side of the risers, God has not called you to be passive. Somebody say amen. Amen. And so I want to give you a quick example of this. I want you to look at this, this pillar right here, reconciling cultures. Because one of the areas of overt conflict in our world today is even the conflict about race relations and different things like that. And what I want to let you know, if you're new to victory or if you're here for the very first time, this church is a 33-year example of peacemaking. Peacemaking in the way that it's not enough just to say I'm not a racist. It's not enough just to say I'm not a racist. We need to be able to say I'm an active reconciler. I know it's tight, but it's right. See, we don't want to talk about these type of things, but I'm not just talking about race. I'm talking about all the things. So many people are just trying to let things pass over, and they don't pass over. They just accumulate. And so if we're not going to be just peacekeepers, we have to be able to look at situations, look at problems, look at conflict, and say, how can I have the courageous conversation to be active in this and not be passive expecting it just to blow over? Because how many of you know it it doesn't blow over? It usually blows up. Even to the fact that a lot of times what we really are operating in, I hate to tell some of us, it's actually cowardice. Peacekeeping, it's not I'm operating in good good Christian values. Peacekeeping is saying I'm too afraid to actually say something because I really don't believe in the power of the God I say I serve. This is an unpopular example maybe of peacekeeping, but the Bible says in Genesis that when Eve ate of the fruit, she then gave it to the husband who was with her. So we put a lot of blame on Eve, but Adam was right there. He didn't want to ruffle the feathers. He he didn't want to make her a little upset. He didn't want to close the garden temporarily. Might be some youngins in here. I'm talking a little PG-13 cold. Y'all know what I'm talking about. (laughs) What what am I saying? Listen. (laughs) What am I saying? What am I saying? Lean in, lean in, lean in. (laughs) The challenge with being a peacekeeper is that we will trade off temporary hurt and end up operating in long-term harm. Hear me on this. How many people in here have ever had a wisdom tooth taken out? I guarantee at least 60% of you in here, you didn't get the wisdom teeth taken out the first time the dentist told you. What probably happened is that 
You said, okay, I'm going to get that done. I really don't want to go through that pain because I have this, this, this uh, story in my mind about a dentist. And you waited for a while until now your teeth start acting up all types of ways. And now what happened is that when you finally decided to do it, you had actually caused harm to yourself. And if you would have just taken the time to operate in that initial hurt, you wouldn't have had that long-term harm. Some of us in this room, it might not be your wisdom teeth. It might be a conversation you need to have with your spouse. It might be a conversation you need to have with your sibling. It might be a conversation you need to have with your boss. You need to rip the Band-Aid off, have the temporary hurt so you don't put and inflict ultimate harm. Sarah Bauer Anderson in the book The Space, uh, the Space Between Us says this, pretending something doesn't exist is not a strategy for peace. It's a recipe for disaster. Why? Because peacemakers have to be courageous. They have to be vulnerable. They have to be honest and humble. Peacemakers have to be ones, watch this, who fully embrace grace and truth. See, I'm not saying that you don't have to go after things. I'm not saying that you have to be nice about everything because some stuff calls you for you to go right at it. But you should still go at it in a way that is filled with grace so that they can receive the truth. Peacemakers, they value people, listen to this, enough to tell them the truth. Don't tell me you love me and you let me walk around all day with, with stinking breath. Don't tell me you love me and you care for me and you see I have a stain on the bottom of my pants and you never tell me because I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable. Well, man, I'm feeling real uncomfortable right now. <laughs> Many times we're evading things that really should be bringing value to us. A peacemaker does not squash things out of fear and just goes along to get along. And so as we're looking at this as Christians, we're called, watch this again, to have shalom, to have peace both personally and communally. I want you to listen to this statement. This is not in your notes. I want you to write it down. I had to repeat it three times in the 9 o'clock service. I'm going to be ready to repeat it now. I need to see if y'all are a better class. Amen? Hear this statement. Peace is affirmed in the face of affliction and sometimes as a result of confrontation, not in the absence of it. I'm going to say it again. Peace is affirmed sometimes as a result, I'm sorry, peace is affirmed in the face of affliction and sometimes as a result of confrontation, not in the absence of it. One more time for the Holy Spirit. Peace is affirmed in the face of affliction and sometimes as a result of confrontation, not in the absence of it. What I need us to know is this. Peace is not an absence of conflict. It's the presence of active resolve. What that means is that a lot of times you're thinking, I can just let peace go. I can just let things go. But peace is not that I don't have conflict. Peace is saying, no, I'm actively inviting you into this situation to resolve. Why? Because I want to grow. Because I want to really have shalom. I don't want to have a full version of peace. I don't want to think that I'm okay, and then when I leave, I'm really not feeling okay. And so what we see a lot of times is that if we don't operate in this, we will have what we would call passive aggressiveness. And there's nothing worse than a passive aggressive person. Let me say it like this. There is nothing worse than a passive aggressive Christian. 
Because we hide behind spiritual jargon. We hide behind, I'm going to pray for you, knowing you might be praying for them, but it's against them. And I, I want to say this. In a room this size, I would venture to say, as I look around, there are probably at least about 50 serial killers in here. Don't worry, we got security. Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. What am I saying? You're a serial killer because you're passive aggressive. Because you say one thing out of your mouth, but you're thinking a totally different thing in your head. You're smiling on the outside, but you've actually looked at that person and figured out five different ways to murder them on the inside. And so what we do is that we walk around with this form of being a Christian, this form of togetherness, not knowing that we have a trail of bodies behind us in the spirit. And so what I'm saying right here, I'm inviting inviting you into an opportunity to be congruent on the outside and the inside. To be able to have the courage enough to say the things that need to be said with grace and with truth. Is anybody down for that? Because I'm tired of fake people. I'm tired of looking at you, wondering if what you're saying is matching up with what you're feeling. I'm tired of wondering if I got to go through hoops in order to have your approval. I'm tired of being in a place of faith where you don't know if it's faith or fake. And so we have to stop being Passive aggressive. Let me just let, let's make this confession all together. Say, I will, I will. stop being stop passive aggressive. I will be real in Jesus' name. Give God praise on that one. Somebody just got free. Somebody just got delivered. I know nobody laid hands on you, but you just got delivered from yourself in that moment. So here's what we're talking about. As we look at this and we know about this affirmation and we know about we have to, the fact that we have to actually go through confrontation at times, this gives us the last point here that a peacemaker resembles their father. A peacemaker resembles their father. I love that we sung that song, No Longer Slaves. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Because when we look at this, our heavenly father is a peacemaker. And what he wants us to do is he wants his children to resemble him as peacemakers. And as we look at this, when we actually operate in this attribute, that's when the world is able to see the difference between us and them. That's when the world is able to see that as we embody peace, I can look at you and see something is different. Let me ask this question. When you're pushed to the limits, do you default into your natural inclination or your spiritual inclination? When you're pushed to the limit, do you tap into the fleshly Mo or the spiritual Andrew? When you're pushed to the limit and, and you know somebody did something that you have a warranted opportunity to respond in a negative way, are you going to raise the standard or are you going to go low with them? This is the opportunity we have as believers because watch this. Our response to conflict is a testimony of who we come from. Our response to conflict is a testimony to who our father is. Let me tell you, I get all types of sermon illustrations and stories from now being a parent of a toddler. How many of you in here know that kids are parrots? They say back everything they hear. So you better be careful what you said about me when I'm not around. The other day, I was standing in the kitchen. Kendra was sitting on the couch, and Maximus, our son, was sitting with her. And Kendra called out to me. She said, hey, babe. Next thing I know, I hear, hey, babe. (laughs) I looked around. I was like, bro, don't say that. (laughs) 
But immediately when my wife said it, she looked at me and she said, that's your son. What am I saying? Children can only emulate what's modeled to them. And so if we're calling ourselves children of God, are you emulating God the Father or are you emulating Satan? Some of y'all might be like, oh, it's not that serious. No, he is the father of lies. So if you're living your life in a way that's full of lies and it's not congruent with what the word says, you might need to check your birth certificate in the spirit. And so as we're thinking about this, as we're taking this in, we have to be able to say, I'm going to operate in a way, even when I should clap back, even when I should put something back in the comments, even when I should pop off, I know that I represent something further than me. I represent someone bigger than me. And the way I respond is going to drive someone to the Lord or away from the Lord. And some of us are guilty of having a trail of bodies that we've led to the pits of hell. I'm slowing down for a moment because, again, I I don't preach sermons to just let them be notes. As we're ministering and as we're talking about this, what we are doing is we're engaging in a transformative process that God is doing a DNA switch. That he's saying, for too long you've been operating in your flesh. For too long you've been operating like this old man. I am here to bring you into the knowledge of a new man. I am here to cancel the assignment of hell on your life. I am here to let you know that as I have you in my hands, you can look like me, walk like me, talk like me, and receive me. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 says this. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Here's the thing. The reality of this life that we're living is that many of us are living this life too alive. The Bible says in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. The life that I now live, I live by the sacrifice of the one who gave his life for me. And so when we live from that point of view, what it allows us to do is to know that I'm not going to respond in a fleshly way. I'm going to respond in a spiritual way. And here's the thing that we do so many times. Again, I want to acknowledge there are real things that people do to us, right? But we serve a real God who can allow us to be peacemakers. And so I I need you to give me one more lean in here today. I haven't been with y'all for a while, so I'm getting all of them in right now. Lean in with me one more time. And I'm going to look right into the camera when I say this one because I need us to hear this even over the airwaves, even over the Internet. Here's the thing. We have to understand that we need to respond spiritually because most of the Christian world cannot see the difference between fighting the devil and fighting the people who are in bondage to him. And so what we do, watch this, watch this. What we do is we're guilty of friendly fire. We're guilty of taking people out that's supposed to be our ally. We're guilty of killing people who we're supposed to introduce to the resurrected king. What we're doing is that we're missing the boat because 
I need to respond. And why do we feel like we need to respond? Because we operate in the fear of man. We worry about what people think about us if I don't respond. We live in a culture that says if you don't respond, you're weak. When God says, again, my kingdom is countercultural, when you don't respond in the way that the world responds, you're actually showing that you have the strength of the Lord. Because it takes strength to operate in power under control. It takes strength to be able to say, I know what I could say, but I'm not going to say it. I'm going to pray for you. And I'm really going to pray for you. And so here's the thing that we have to ask ourselves. Watch this. When we have an opportunity to respond to people with things that have been warranted and done against us, we have to ask ourselves this interrogative question. Am I a peacemaker or am I a vengeance taker? This is why I'm saying that the trust in the Lord is so important. Because if we really trust the Lord, we say, God, I'm going to do my part and I'm going to trust you to do your part. It takes trust to not protect yourself. What do I mean? I'm not saying just, you know, uh, be a person that's just putting yourself all out there and you're not, you don't have boundaries. But what I'm saying is that don't let your identity be the person that, or you know they're going to turn up. Don't let your identity be the person that people are afraid to do life with you or to talk with you because they never know which person is going to show up. Here's what I want to say as we get ready to close. As we look at this, we actually carry a sense of Christ. Here recently, our son, he had a cold the other day, and I went and bought a new diffuser for him. And what I realized with that, you know, I'm starting to learn more about essential oils. How many fans of essential oils do we have in the house? I'm starting to learn that when you put certain oils in the diffuser, that little by little, there's a fragrance, there's a substance that's beneficial to him that starts to come out incrementally in the room. And this fragrance, what it does over time is while he's resting, while he's sleeping, healing is happening. While he's resting, while he's sleeping, there's an effect happening because there's a fragrance that's coming upon him that he's not even doing anything, but he's getting affected by it. We're supposed to be like diffusers in the earth. That when we show up on the scene, people don't even know something's different has happened with me. What just happened? How are you operating in love like that that is now is rubbing off on me? I just treated you like this and you're going to respond like that? Surely you must be a child of God. But what we do so many times is we turn off that function and we go out into the world. Instead of opening ourselves up to say, God, use me how you want to use me. I am crucified with you. I want the fragrance of Christ to be such a testimony to the people I encounter that when they see me, they glorify my Father in heaven. That when they see me, now they're not actually giving me the applause. They're saying, there's a source on the inside of you that I need to know, I need to understand. How can I know this Jesus? We're able to do this because if we acknowledge and we carry the peace, because we've been mentored by the Prince of Peace, we can walk around and let our posture of peace be the sign of our DNA. We can let the posture of our peace be the sign that draws people to God. And so I want to close like this because 
as we think about this, the benediction pronounced on those who are peacemakers is this. It says, they shall be called children of God. Called means owned. And what we're saying right here when we think about all this, it says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be owned as the children of God. Who's going to own them? God. Who are we going to reflect? God. And so this last scripture I want to give us, because I believe this marks us, and, and I want you to meditate on this for the rest of the week. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. It says, finally, believers, rejoice. Be made complete. Be what you should be. Be comforted. Be like-minded. Live in peace. Enjoy the spiritual well-being experienced by believers who walk closely with God. And here's the promise. And the God of peace, the source of loving kindness, will be with you. As I said earlier, one of the reasons sometimes that we protect ourselves and we don't allow this peace to come out of us is because we operate in fear. Many have heard that fear is simply false evidence appearing real. Things that we shouldn't be protecting ourselves of. God is saying, if you would just yield to me, I will satisfy you in a way that you could never be satisfied anywhere else. But what I realize is that we live in a world that's full of opportunities to be peacekeepers instead of being peacemakers. And so I want to close like this with, with three particular areas of calling. I want you to bow your heads for a moment. The first call that I have, and I'm going to ask you as I go through these, just keep those heads bowed because we need to do some work for a second. The first area is for those who, as I'm ministering, as I'm giving this word, you recognize that there's no way that you could be a peacemaker because you have not been introduced to the Prince of Peace. You have not entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ as your Savior, as your Lord. And so if you want this life of peace, if you want this whole life of shalom, well-being, communally and personally, you, if you want your eternal life to be secure, while every head is bowed, I want you just to lift your hand right now. I see hands all over the room, all over the room. I see you. Keep those hands up for me. I want to pray with you. I want to pray with you. I see you. I see you. I see you. Because you're in a room full of peacemakers, we're going to all pray together. Let's pray this prayer together. Say, Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Today I repent, which means I turn from my way of doing things. I turn from my way of responding, and I turn towards your way. Today I confess you as my Lord and my Savior, and I'm asking, Holy Spirit, that you change me, that you shape me so that I can look more like you. From this day on, I can confidently say that I am a child of God. And I believe this in my heart, and I confess this with my mouth. In Jesus' name, amen. You can put your hands down. Keep those heads bowed. Keep those heads bowed. This particular caller, for those people who would acknowledge, you may even be sitting next to your spouse. You may be sitting next to someone who you have not necessarily been a peacemaker with. 
but you recognize that I've been operating more in a carnal sense and not in the spiritual lineage of who I've come from in Jesus. If you're in here and you say, I want to take a deliberate step to starting to operate as a peacemaker, I want you to lift your hands in the air. I see you, 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 I see you all over the room. Father, in the name of Jesus, what we say now is that we need you. That in our natural sense, we could never be good enough. But right now, what we're saying, Lord, is that we want to even be even more transformed into your image and into your likeness. We want to be peacemakers that we don't allow people's actions to dictate how we will respond. Father, I'm praying for grace between husbands and wives right now that they've been keeping the peace, but they need to make peace in some areas so that they can really operate in a striving relationship. Father, I'm praying the grace of the Lord right now over individuals who need to have conversations today, who need to send a text, who need to initiate apologies, who need to humble themselves today so that we can walk in the fullness of life. Father, I'm declaring we are a people who will take on the burden of being those who look like you and be peacemakers wherever we go. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One more thing, one more thing, amen. One more thing. This is, this, we're gonna do some work. Please keep those heads bowed. Keep these, these heads. <laughs> Yesterday, as I was preparing this message, the Lord put a pretty heavy burden on my heart to just navigate through this particular next call. As you've heard me today, some of you are in here saying, I get it, I understand. In my mind, I understand what you're saying but peace has been evading me. Peace has been evading me so much that I feel like I would get more peace if I was no longer living on this earth. Peace has been evading me so much that I feel like the response that will actually make it all better is if I committed suicide. And I'm here to let some people know that God would interrupt thousands of people to let you know that he is the God of peace and that he wants to offer peace to you today and that you're in an environment that is safe around a whole group of people who are peacemakers today who want to acknowledge that we see you, that it's okay, that you can keep going, and that you are not to take your own life. If that's you, I need some people to take a bold step. I know this is bold. If that's you and I'm talking to you, I need you to know God sees you so much that he wants to interrupt your regularly scheduled program. And I want you to stand up right now. I want you to stand up if that's you. No shame. I want you to stand up right now. No shame. I want you to stand up. I see you. Don't worry about what somebody would think about you. Don't worry about, oh, I hold this particular role in the church or I serve in this area. What are they going to think? This is a time of deliverance. This is where God says, heed my word, harden not your heart. I feel like there's one or two people that are saying, I wish you would just keep going because I've been battling with this. Some of you in the room said, I'm coming to church as this last ditch effort. And God, if you don't speak to me directly, I'm ending it when I leave here today. If I'm talking to you by the spirit of the Lord, I need you to stand up right now. I'm on assignment today. Stay standing, stay standing, stay standing. 
This is not a moment where you should feel shame. This is a moment where you should feel the arms of a loving God wrapping around you. And what we want to do in this moment right now, I don't care how long you've been saved. I don't care how long you've been in the Word. If you are feeling this right now, God says, I love you this much. That peace is your portion. If you're around someone that's standing, you can open your eyes. If you're around someone that's standing, I need you to put your hand on their shoulder right now. I need them to feel the peace of God. I need them not just to feel it spiritually. I need them to feel it physically right now. If you can't get close to them, lift, stretch your hands towards them and just start to pray for them. As you go and stretch your hands towards them and you put your hands on them, just start to speak the word over their lives. It's not about trying to fix anything right now. Start to tell them you are loved. You are valued. That peace is your portion. That God has a plan for you. He has a plan to prosper you, to give you a great hope in the future. He has plans to give you good and not evil. He wants you to be in this earth, to be a witness of him. There is an assignment on your life by, to the, from, from the devil, but God is saying, you will not be subject to the assignment of hell. Heaven is actually clapping for you right now. Heaven is celebrating you right now, saying that you are too valuable, that he needs your work in the kingdom. Come on, Victory Church, all over the world, let's start to pray. Let's start to pray. Let's start to pray. Come on, this is not a regular church service right now. We're doing surgery in the spirit. We're first responders in the spirit right now. Come on, speak the word, speak the word, plead the blood of Jesus. Father, we thank you, we thank you, we thank you, we thank you for your peace. We thank you for your grace. We thank you, God, that you love us so much that you would not allow us to have a form of godliness and deny your power. Father, we thank you right now that this date was time-stamped before the foundations of the earth, that you knew the, the situation, the circumstances that would be present today. You knew the ploy of the enemy that would try to take them out. You knew what would try to be a testimony for the kingdom of hell is now going to be a testimony for the kingdom of heaven. Father, we thank you right now that the blood of Jesus never loses power. We thank you right now, God, that we are saved by the blood of the Lamb. We thank you right now that from the pits of hell, those assignments on these people have to go back to that place, never to come back again. Father, we thank you that this won't just be a time here in this service, but this is a result of a praying people who will be peacemakers and who commit to following the things of the Lord. Father, we thank you right now that we will no longer be slaves to fear, but we declare in this place strongly without fear that we are children of God. And let's just lift that up right now as we pray for them, as we continue to acknowledge that. Let's lift that up right now that we are no longer slaves. We are no longer slaves. We are no longer slaves. Let's lift it up in Jesus' name.